The following podcast is a She Did It and SydneyNanberg.com production. Welcome back to the She Did It podcast. My name is Sydney Nanberg, and I am the creator and founder of She Did It and SydneyNanberg.com, your self care and mindset resource. If you are listening to this, thank you because you are committed to investing in your own personal growth and development, and I appreciate you being a contributor to this community. My intention is to consistently share valuable information and lessons to help you live a fulfilling life. I want you to come here looking for inspiration and leave with the tools you need to take on whatever it is you are going after. Achieving fulfillment starts with taking the first step, and you're doing it. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the She Did It podcast. I am your host, Sydney, and I just want to thank you for tuning in today and taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode and be here with me and be present and gain new insight and value to help propel your life and bring more good things to you so that you can feel fulfilled. Today, we are talking about sex and sexual wellness, the hookup culture, and how we can improve not only our relationships, but our sex lives. We are getting very real, putting it all out there, and I am joined today by the expert Jennifer Littner. Jennifer is a sexologist who has over a decade of experience working, studying, and teaching in the field of sexual health with a specialization in sex therapy, sexuality education, and helping people thrive in their intimate relationships. Jennifer is passionate about empowering individuals to make healthy choices about sexuality by providing them with accurate sexual health information. She is the founder of Embrace Sexual Wellness, a wellness center offering both psychotherapy, individuals, couples, and sex therapy services, and sexuality education programming in the Chicagoland area. She is full of tips, insight, and I found this to be really helpful and informative, so get your notes and get ready for a lot of value in this episode, and let's dive in. Welcome, Jennifer, to the She Did It podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm really glad that we connected. Actually, we have very similar backgrounds. We actually grew up in the exact same area, which is crazy. So I can't wait to get into your story and what you're doing. And I just appreciate you taking the time today to be here. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody, you know, who you are, where you're from and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Littner. I'm a sexologist and entrepreneur. Sexologist really refers to studying the uh, in the field of sexuality and and um, in the academic level. And within that is sort of an umbrella term. I'm also a certified sex therapist, so I work with people in helping them treat sexual functioning concerns, um, relational concerns related to sexuality. Um, and I'm a sexuality educator, so I lead presentations and teach people about medically accurate information about their bodies, about sex. Um, and whatnot. Um, I so also own... us... go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I also like own a wellness center called Embrace Sexual Wellness, where we offer both psychotherapy and sexuality education programming in Chicago. That is incredible. I just, just want to know how how did you get into this industry? Yeah, so I was working at a university wellness center, and I was working in the capacity of health and wellness promotion. So most universities have an office on campus where they have people trained to deliver information about 
contraceptive use, safer sex practices, mental health, nutrition, um, sleep deprivation, all the kinds of things that would be relevant for college students. And um, I was trained as a university wellness educator and often facilitated these presentations in college dormitories. So I led presentations on how to use contraceptive methods and became really, really knowledgeable about sexual health. And we also had a grant that we were fortunate to receive that allowed us to for HIV testing for students during their lunch hours. So they could come in and get tested for free, which was a tremendous had, you know, healthy habit to get into. And so I became a post-test counselor. And in those meetings, I realized that a lot of people were coming in because they had a risky encounter um, or some risky def defined by a public health standpoint where they had unprotected sex. Um, other uh, people came in because they were just nervous about contracting uh, HIV, but they hadn't really met any kind of criteria for what would be known as a risky encounter. And so people were coming in and they're really anxious about their sexual relationships. And while I was helpful in um, being able to help them understand about advocating for their needs and practicing safer sex, I wasn't really able to help treat some of the anxiety and the distress that they were experiencing. And I realized that Sexuality is so much more than what we do with our bodies. It's about how we feel, how we connect with another person, um, all of the information, sexual scripts, if you will, that we learned about sex growing up and throughout our lives. And so I felt very compelled to dive deeper into this interest and um, then connected with a sexologist that was an alumna of a group I was a part of on campus. and then the kind of, they kind of pointed me in the right direction of, of training and the rest is sort of history from there. But that's how I initially fell into this, into this role. I think that's interesting. And I kind of want to take a step back. Did you envision yourself doing this before you got into it? And, you know, you, you talked about how you got into it, but did someone approach you about it or did you just see something about it? And you were like, Oh, that could be interesting. Like, what how what was the why behind getting into this industry i feel like everybody has a why now, obviously it interested you but was there like a specific reason and is this something that you saw yourself doing before you even got into it yeah that's a great question so i would say when i started as a pure health educator and doing some of the sexual health and wellness promotion i didn't necessarily see myself in that kind of role i connected with somebody that was a classmate that said this is something I was really interested in health and this is they said you know this is something that you might really um, be interested in so I checked it out um, but the more that I learned about sexual health the more I realized how many of my peers were so uninformed all of us were we didn't really a lot of us didn't have quality sexuality education and a lot of people still don't have quality sexuality education and it creates a lot of anxiety about what does this mean? What is right? How am I supposed to navigate the world with, as sexual beings? And I felt so compelled to help people be able to better understand themselves because that anxiety really is tough to navigate when you're a college student, but also when you're an adult. And I think yeah. um, it was that was kind of what I sort of became like the sexuality guru on campus and everyone would kind of ask me all these questions and then I realized I was like okay I think I was made to do this yeah that I, I I love that and I you know 
it's interesting, and I think it's so important in colleges because in high school, and you and I went to the same high school, which is so crazy, <laughs> by yeah. the way, that like we randomly met, and then you tell me you're from Chicago, and then we talk about, oh, we're from the exact same area, and we went to the same high school. That's crazy. But we didn't really, even in middle school or in elementary school, whenever we do sex education, they really inform you on the basics, and so people kind of go into it blindly and not parents don't always talk about it with their kids. And then when they go off to college, it's like, okay, it's a wake up call because, you know, it's important to have someone to go to, to talk about these things with, because you're kind of on your own, you're exploring, you're doing whatever it is you want to do. And you worked obviously a lot with, you know, college students. So what is the biggest issue that you see? And you still, you said you still work with millennials now. What do you, mm-hmm. what's the biggest issue you see when people, when millennials come to you about sexual education? What are like some of the most common questions that they ask you? I feel like it's a combination of things, but there's a lot of anxiety about dating and disclosures. Like if someone's had, I work a lot with people who have, who feel um, really anxious about what they, what they enjoy sexually, their preferences, um, maybe how they identify. There's something that they feel sort of marginalized in and being able to, whether or not to disclose that to a sexual partner can be hard. Um, for some people, it's their experiences of sexual trauma. It's their needs during sex that they want to take things slow and they want to date somebody without have it being sexual right away. There are these um, narratives around hookup culture, which I hope we can talk about some more that I think really, um, that I think really complicate people's, um, interests in their, in their, um, it makes it hard for people who, who don't necessarily want to engage in hookup culture, um, to really approach dating and sex in a relationship in the way that they want to, because they think it's not socially acceptable sometimes. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about hookup culture actually you know you and I talked about you had mentioned you know it's kind of an old term but it actually really still exists and it's a big problem because people are, are afraid to commit and therefore everybody's just hooking up and they don't want the expectations I mean I just saw a movie actually on Netflix last time I, I came home to Chicago um and it was about, I forget the name of the movie, but it like recently came out and it was just some stupid college movie because I'm afraid of flying. And they created an app where basically you don't have to know, you can't know the person's name or like anything about them. You can just hook up with that. Like it's very crystal clear. Like you just hook up with them and then like, that's it. You don't have their phone number, like nothing. And I think that's such a problem for people who want to be like in relationships and it really affects communication too. And it's, a big problem. So how, you know, how is it? It's, I think it's hurting our confidence and how can people learn to let their walls down to be able to form better relationships and improve their sex life within this hookup culture that we're living in? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, people, I would really recommend people to be straightforward about what they want. I know it's vulnerable to say, and people will say, Oh, it's awkward or, Oh, this is going to seem like a, such a serious thing to say, but if you say that you want to hook up and that's, and that mean, and define what that means, like define, does hook up mean that um, you want to make out? Does hook up mean that you want to be naked with each other? Like what does hooking up really mean? Um, and define like that from the get go and say, you know, I really want to have a sexual relationship with you. I'm not really comfortable talking outside of, you know, this, this encounter. Um, what, 
I want to like, how do you want to communicate with this partner? Do you want them to reach out to you? Do you want to reach out to them via text? What's appropriate? What is like the level of, I think if we can be explicit about what we want, we'll often be um, more accepting of the experience when it's happening and um, it, it less distressed about, okay, well, am I texting this person too much? Or is this right. like outside the bounds of what I'm supposed to be doing? Because if you co-create that experience with another person, right, then you're not worrying about, okay, am I, am I doing something wrong? Or is, you know, are, is this relationship going to end? Because it seems like I might be reaching out in a way that is more uh, like somebody with something might, somebody might do in a relational context that's that's more serious so I think being able to define what you want and the level of communication what that looks like from the get-go even if it takes a little extra energy is really important I think that that's so important for people to do and although I am a millennial I'm a big believer in communication I've been in a an amazing relationship with my boyfriend for the last five years not to say we don't have our issues like anybody else but communication is a big part of it um whether it's just for a relationship or sex or it doesn't matter what it is um and people today i've noticed just from you know hanging around friends or other people who are single and kind of in just living in society right now communicating what you want is almost like frowned upon like it's like picking up the phone to call someone it's like why would you call someone like that's weird? It's not weird. So what are what is your opinion on that? And do you think that that's feeding into this, the negative side of the hookup culture? And how can we like, how can we improve our communication skills to know that it's okay to communicate that it's not weird in whatever way that you do it? Because the communication yeah. is what stops people. Right, right. I don't, I wonder like where along the narrative of communicating is weird really came from because right. the reality is like if we're elusive about it, what we want, it really just sets people up to A, try and second guess what the other person wants or how they're feeling, which is really, we call that in therapy, building a unilateral narrative, like trying to figure out what this other person wants without really leaning in and asking. Um, it, it's really it's really not effective, right? So that's the right. first piece. But the second piece is it just stirs you up and allows and really creates people, um, puts them in a space to really dedicate a lot of psychological energy to this where it really doesn't have to. And I think that people often say to me, oh, I'm spending so much time thinking about this. I shouldn't have to. And they're frustrated by that. And so I think if we can just start being more honest up front and just practicing that, then maybe that will be the new trend. Like what if we're more explicit? Um, that's my hope is, you know, saying, Hey, I want to, maybe somebody wants to have a hookup relationship and they want to um, be sexual to say, Hey, you know, I'm really down to have oral sex and I want to see you, you know, once a week. And it's cool if you text me between the hours of one and 3am, but like not outside of that. You know, like to be explicit about it's that. Clear, it's super clear, right? Like, it, and if you, if you, you know, maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want, you know, hey, you, if you want to text me during the week and see how I'm doing because, you know, we can, we both care about each other and we want to, you know, maybe we want to hang out outside of hooking up and that's cool with me too. I think it's important that we just define what we want and, you know, it, it takes it takes some courage to do that. So I think that yeah. if we're gonna be trendsetters in 
and being more explicit about our needs, then I think we have to have courage and we really have to embrace that. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes it's scary and it's not easy because, yeah, you have to be vulnerable. And, and you know, speaking of hookup culture, there's also this thing now where, and this is a generalization, but um, you said you worked in colleges, but when I was in college, you know, a lot of my friends would hook up with guys and then they wouldn't get a call back. And I, I know this goes back to the communication. And now, like, obviously people can learn what to do. But a big problem is that then a lot, whether it's a guy or a girl, will feel bad because they don't have the communication. And then the biggest thing that's happening in this hookup culture is that people are being labeled, you know, this person's crazy, this person's that, because the one person is trying to communicate, the other person isn't interested. It wasn't made clear. And then it gets into their head, I'm crazy. And a lot of times it's it's girls that are labeled crazy. Um, and, you know, I know guys go through these things too, but that's something where I feel like, as a society, we need to work on our confidence and communication also because of that, because, you know, just be, I mean, working on communication will clarify that, but to also, I mean, what do you think about, do you see that in your practice that a lot of like the labels because of what happens with hookup culture that people hook up and then someone tries to communicate and they don't hear back and it happens after the fact, do you, what, do you see that as a common issue? And what do you suggest for the person who's going through that? Yeah, I think I do see the labels happening and it's often more internalized too. So um, there's a study that recently came out in the College Student Journal that talks a lot about the social constructions of gender and how that has created a sexual double standard within hookup culture. So men will gain more social acceptance from engaging in hookup behavior, whereas women are socially shamed for engaging in hookup behavior. And yes, that is something that... um, I mean, I think this, the original research has been going on for years, but um, and again, like not everybody is identifying as a woman or a man. So I think that's, there's some narrow, there's some narrow definitions there. Um, we need right. to have more of an expanded discourse, but I think Absolutely. I hear a lot of people, a lot of women identified folks that I work with are saying that they feel guilty or they feel like there's something wrong with them if they're more sexually assertive, if they if they are vocal about what they want, if they engage in self-pleasuring, right? These are not new um, ideas and they're not like we've, this is something that's been around for a long time. And I think to the same token, men, the men that I see often feel like there's something wrong with them if they're not having several sexual partners or they're not um, dating well or doing a good job or if they're not performing sexually. Why is that? Yeah. Well, if we think about it, right, and this double standard that the research talks about, that men gain social acceptance from engaging in hookup behavior, I think that if people are told that they, this is what they're supposed to do, right, they're supposed to have um, many relational partners or many sexual partners, and they're not doing that, right, then they feel like maybe there's something wrong with them. And so that's where that triggers that shame. And I see this across across um, genders. And um, I think think it's just this, again, the double standard is one piece, but um, it's just very confusing for what if you're a person who is assertive and you're a female identified person, and that's not congruent with the gendered narrative for you? Or what if you're a male identified person and you are a little bit more passive or you're shy or you don't want to date 
you don't want to have sex with several people all the time. I mean, it doesn't really create space for nuance in there. And, and, it, and it also doesn't create space for non-binary folks or folks who are not identifying with uh, male or female identities. So I think we need to have some better um, social constructions of and ideas here too. Yeah, because I think that, you know, the double standard is it's a big problem. And, you know, women are afraid that like, oh, it's bad to, you know, have sex with multiple people um, when really it's really human nature, in my opinion. I see nothing wrong with it as long as you're being smart about it. Um, and I, I don't think that there should be any shame in that. And the fact that there is shame around it you know, what can people who feel that shame do? What can they tell themselves? Like, what are some tips you have for people who feel that shame because of the society that we're living in? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think when it comes to being sexually assertive, if you say what you want, you're much more likely to get what you want, right? So satisfaction in relationships and and sexual satisfaction specifically is very linked to sexual assertiveness, which is like the clinical term, right? So the more that you say, hey, I want you to caress my hair, right? Or to um, stimulate my nipples or to bring your fingers down my leg or whatever the specifics are, right? The more likely that that person is on the other end, whatever partner or partners that you're engaging with is going to be able to really understand that and then say, hey, I'm up for that or no, I'm not. And you can co-create that experience. So if someone's struggling with feeling like they shouldn't be communicating, I would just remind them that they are completely entitled to a positive and enjoying and fulfilling sexual experience as we all are for those of us who want one. Um, And that you know, we need to do a better job of just communicating what we want and that they really have nothing to lose, right? Like if we put, if we say this is what we want and um, if somebody, somebody may say, no, I don't, I don't want, I'm not up for that. And then, so you co-create a different experience, but you know, that if you don't say anything, that there's a far less um, probable chance that they're going to, this other person or people will know exactly what you want. And so I think of it as, you know, we might as well try, we might as well say what we want. I mean, if, if we're struggling and just remind ourselves that the absence of communication, we already know what that's going to lead to, which is often kind of where we are now. Right. And it seems like everything and, and from what you're saying, and in my opinion, it all really goes back to communication. This all stems from communication. And really, we just might be communicating in the wrong way and by talking about it and by you educating people on this and you know putting out this information it can help people to move forward in a more positive way where things become more clear so that everybody's happier and we remove that shame and something that you you talked about you said you work with parents of preteens what is something that parents can do better to make sure that their kids are educated on sex because communication really is key and the earlier you can start the communication it sounds like the better yes that's a great question as well um i i think parents and caregivers and guardians they need to first really work and understand what are their own sexual scripts and values what are some of what's their stuff as we say what what's coming up for them that maybe contributing to their willingness to communicate first, because if, if they don't acknowledge that, then we might go, you might see parents trying to talk to their kiddos and 
feeling really anxious or feeling um, really disconnected from the conversation and their kid is going to pick up on that. So the first step is to really understand, like, how does it feel to have this conversation and to really process that with another trusted adult? It doesn't have to be a co-parent. It could be a friend or a spouse or whoever. Um, And to really and to really own that. And then to, you know, if you're anxious, right. Practice taking deep breaths, practice having this conversation with another parent so that when it's happening, you feel more comfortable about it. The other thing I would say is preteens need to know what are medically accurate information about their body. They need to know the anatomical parts of their body, right? We need to call vulvas vulvas and not, and just know that a vagina is open, right? We need to call penises penises and not dicks, right? Like, we need to be more clear about the body parts, um, particularly anatomy is internal, right? So a lot of people don't know where the prostate is. A lot of people don't know um, where their uh, there is anatomy that's a little bit more hidden. Mm-hmm. It's no kind of those structures are and. There are a lot of really good research books. Um, I think to know that they can come to this parent or I love having an alternative caregiver, I call it like an auxiliary adult that they can go to that the parents or caregivers trust um, for them to go to with questions. For some people, this might be an older cousin or an aunt or a teacher or somebody like that. Somebody that they can they aren't so comfortable talking to their parent or parent. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to my boyfriend the other day because, about this episode, actually. And I told him that when I was growing up, we had, like, sex ed, I think, in maybe fifth grade or fourth grade. And then maybe once again in, um, in, in middle school. But we didn't talk about it in high school. And he said, growing up in Miami they talked about it in high school. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think the education, do you think the education system should be involved in this or do you think it should just be at home or do you think the education system should improve in a different way? Do you think, you know, one one way is better than the other? Because I thought, I was like, oh, that actually kind of makes sense to talk about it in high school, like the, your freshman year when people are starting to, you know, I mean, I know that there are a lot of kids who have sex at younger ages, mm-hmm. um, but for a majority people it does start probably closer to high school what's your opinion yeah that's that's a great question I would say that the earlier talking about sexuality education the better so there are ways that even a student I have colleagues who teach and they they're not talking about sex per se they're talking about consent right safe touch um, and unsafe touch and being able to, if you want, if you don't want to give grandma a hug, that you have the right to your body to say, no, thank you. Right. And me, a five-year-old, even starting young really sets up um, things like bodily autonomy, right? People understanding that they can say, you know, no, I'm not up for um, having sex right now, but um, I would be more comfortable if, you know, Right. So having that conversation um, as an adult that stems from how people are socialized when they're 
better. So I think that the earlier sex ed, the better. I'm a huge comprehensive sex ed, meaning that we're not just teaching about prevention of STIs um, and how to prevent unwanted or pregnancy. Rather, to teach people about their bodies, how their bodies work, what um, to, to teach them about sexual pleasure. That sex is not only had for recreation, even though that's or only had for reproduction, rather, that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of reasons why people are sexually active. And even if that's not what they believe, right, then they have an understanding that it exists. And also relationship skills. How do you communicate about sex in a relationship? Getting in the habit of getting regular STI tests. These are things that conversations that people really struggle with because there's not a model for currently in sex ed. And I think comprehensive sex ed approaches really do a nice job of including that. And that's something that we can start in middle school. We can continue in high school. And you, as um, students grow, right, the complexity of the information broadens, right? So what you're, you're not going to teach a second grader about how to put on a condom, but Maybe for a right. fifth, sixth, or seventh grader, that conversation might be more appropriate. Um, you know, so I think it's just about taking the information and, and adapting it for the developmental age that they're at. Developmental yeah. stage, rather. I think that makes sense. I mean, I want when, when I, at least when I was growing up, and I'm assuming it was similar for you since we grew up in the same place. Um, and many schools are similar, but we didn't grow up in a time we weren't taught like okay like you said like if your grandma wants to give you a hug and you don't want to give her a hug it's okay to say no you're entitled to say no I mean we just learned like you know what the parts were and that's really what it was from what I remember um but now we're living in a different time where it's important to take the conversation to another level because of what's happening um today I mean it's important to talk about that it's okay to say no and to to respect people's boundaries and take it beyond just how to put on a condom. Yeah, I think there it's a generational thing too, and culturally it depends right. on you know what what how your family socializes around touch um, and affection, right? So I I can see this playing out where um, some families are always they give hugs, right? That's how they greet each other. And to not give a hug is like a sign of disrespect in a way. And so for that, the nuances there are going to be more challenging, right? To say like, this isn't about if my child is not interested, is declining a hug, right? It doesn't mean that they don't love me, right? But maybe they are just learning, they're just expressing their comfort with their body, right? Maybe maybe tomorrow they'll give me a hug, right? And so to be able to listen to our children and to be able to say, um, you know, we're going to respect their bodies because this is part of their growth and development and their understanding that their bodies are important and their bodies are their own and they need to be able to make decisions for them, um, you know, throughout their lives. I think that's so important. I'm so glad that we talked about that because a mission of mine, well, for many reasons is to shift the education system a little bit. And I think it's important to shift, you know, as there are new generations and, you know, as we grow as a society, I think it's important to 
um, make updates so that we can all be as informed as possible and so that we can improve the world that we live in. And I want to talk a little bit about relationships. Um, whether you're single or whether you're in a relationship, I'm curious, what are a few tips that you have to improve the quality of our relationships aside from communication? How can yeah. we have better relationships? I think that you know, we need to be really intentional about the time that we spend with people. My bias is that I love quality time in relationships. So this is my, as some people might know of love languages, this is definitely one of mine. So yeah, this is my, I'm going to own my bias. That is my thing. I literally, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but it's so funny you say that because if anyone knows me and if one of my boyfriend listens to this, he's going to be like, oh my God, I'm always like, <laughs> Quality time. I'm like, I want an app called Quality Time too, so that people can connect with people who also want quality time because it's so important. Okay, now mm-hmm. continue, please. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm glad you interjected. You know, and everybody has different ways of expressing love and care, but I do think that one of the struggles that we have in our modern society is that there are so many tabs open in our brains. We have, and if I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, so I feel like I always have so many tabs open, but I just know from my clients and the people that I know in my, in my life, right? There's just, there's so many things going on at once and it's easy to be relaxing, right? Sitting on the couch is relaxing, but if you're sitting on the couch, sending work emails, you're not really relaxing, right? And so the being able to be intentional about the time that we spend with our partners or our, or our friends or whoever we're in relationship with, is really important and to be able to connect with them without several different tabs open. So for some people that's having their devices around, right? I've had clients take a break from using devices and saying, you know, okay, an hour before bed, we're going to power everything down and unplug. And it's really changed their relationship for the better because what happens is people will be sitting at home and they'll be sitting in bed or sitting on their couch and they'll be scrolling and they'll be like looking at their phone Right. Maybe you've been out to a restaurant and you've seen this happening where people are sitting on their phones and they're not looking at each other. Right. That's not quality time. There's no connection happening there. Right. And so people are really missing out. It's a missed opportunity. And so one thing that we can really do is be intentional about the time that we spend together and making sure that we're really showing up and being present. Maybe somebody's tabs open are that they're folding laundry or they're food prepping or they're doing something else. It's not necessarily always devices, but I think there is something to be said about really creating a space for people to be together and really show up in that space without everything else that's going on at the same time. I'm such a big believer in that. I always say when we go out to dinner, like the phones go in the middle or on or just away and whoever takes theirs out first has to pay and this is not just relationships like with my boyfriend or someone's husband or wife or whatever like in general like if you're sitting at a table I'm like I'm a big believer in quality time it doesn't matter who you're with but it's like a level of you, you need to be respectful of other people and if you want to go to dinner with someone you know sit there with them be there with them be present and connect because it's how you can improve in my opinion relationships and um um, I, from, to me, that's just like a way it, it's not about who pays for dinner. It's about, you know, just g- giving an incentive to not be on the phone. Like right. it's, it's yeah. just, 
it's not someone told me to do that once and actually there's a restaurant here in Miami where they have like a little thing I forget the name of the restaurant too in the middle of the table where you're supposed to put your phones and I'm like genius that is genius <laughs> I took a picture of it I, I can't find it but it's it's sad like when you go to dinner and you or wherever and you see people and they're just on their phones or one person is on their phone and the other person's just sitting there yeah it's it's so hard I actually my partner and I have a rule that I don't even like the phone on the table mostly because if something spilled on it, right. It can light up. It, it can light up. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's, it's still very present. So my partner always gives me their phone and I put it in my purse and that's kind of the rule. So I yep. always have two phones in my purse when we go out for dinner. I we're the same, we're the same way. And I think that that's a really good, I mean, that's a good tip for people to be more present. Um, and quality, yeah, quality time is, is huge. And Something you say that sex is, you said this earlier, it's more than just what we do with our bodies. I want to go back to that. Can you talk yeah. more about that and what you mean by that? Of course. So I think of sex as how we, um, a place that we go, right, in our minds. A lot of times people will capture this as an erotic space. Um, it's also, it, it it brings up how we feel about ourselves, body image, self-esteem, self-worth. It brings up our um, sexual scripts. How did we learn about sex? What are the attitudes that we have? Gender roles, right? Our capacity right. for self-efficacy. Do we feel like we know what we're doing? Um, which is a big thing that I see a lot with, um, particularly with with younger folks around um you know, am I, am I doing this right? Like, have I had enough sexual experiences? Right. So there's all these nuances to sexuality that are not just physically what we're doing. And I think people assume that in order to be a good lover or to be a good sexual partner, that they have to have so much experience. And while we learn from experience and experience on a resume is usually quite helpful and looks favorable, it's not the and all be all when it comes to sexuality, there's all these other areas where we need to tend to and include in the conversation. And so if we're feeling depressed, if we're feeling um, anxious about something going on at work, if we are just completely distracted, if our body is worn down because we haven't gotten enough sleep, a new, you know, whatever is going on, right? All that context plays a huge role in how we show up as sexual beings or how open we even are to being sexual. Um, and so I think it's really, really important that we remember that sex is not about just what we do with our bodies. That's an important part, but it's not the only impact factor that impact, impacts um, our, our experience of sex. I think that's really insightful. And I have another question for you. What are a few ways that people can improve their sex life so that they are more satisfied? Yes, good question. Aside so, from, I mean, communication, obviously, but and then other tips. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, being able to uh, discuss what they, what they like, um, you know, figuring out, for, for somebody who may not be so self-aware about their sexual preferences, taking the time to have really dig in and have some exploration. That might mean going to a store where they have sex toys or a workshop to learn more about 
um, bondage or to learn more about vibrators or something like that. It might be about just experimenting with different types of touch against your skin um, and noticing how it feels when, you know, you use a scratchy versus feeling versus um, light fingertips versus tapping, right? There's just different sensations that that people like. And I think um, a lot of times we don't get a formal training on how to navigate that and how to really start that experience of exploration. So that's one tip in terms of exploring. And I would say, of course, communicating those needs to um, any sexual partners if a person is partnered, um, but also not being afraid to go to this place that's erotic, right? Sometimes erotic spaces in our minds, the place that we go, so to speak, is somewhere that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be consistent with who we are in the rest of our lives. We can, for a lot of people that I work with, they're, they have fantasies that they would never be able to act out in real life because they have a really public facing personal life. Um, and um, that might mean, you know, envisioning themselves doing something um, with with a big crowd while naked or something like that. Or that might mean being um, being strapped down to the top of a building or something like that, that, you know, might might foresee some challenges in real life. And so I, I would say that, you know, being able to use fantasy can be really helpful for people too. And just not to be afraid to go there because it's, it's in your mind for a reason. I I think that's really great advice and super insightful. And um, I just, I appreciate you sharing all of this. And I want to end this with one, what is one, one piece of advice that you want people to take away from this episode about sexual wellness? Mm. That it's not something that is unattainable for people to achieve, that there are small gains that, and small things that you can do to ha- achieve more wellness in your life. Right. I don't, I don't maybe achieve is not the right word, but to create a space for wellness to take place. So maybe it's showing up to a partner and saying, being more explicit about what you want in a hookup. Maybe it's being more honest with yourself about the type of touch that you're engaging in. Maybe it's going to a sex toy shop and speaking with a sexuality educator to find something that's going to be helping you get the stimulation that you need. All of these things, they don't have to be grandiose gestures, right? They can be small, small things. It could just be research and doing some research and, you know, reading a book on sexuality. And I have a huge resource list on my website, but um, I I just want people to know that it doesn't have to be something that's unattainable. Because I think even though that might be the feeling that a lot of people have when it comes to sexual health knowledge. so much for sharing and this has been incredible but before we go would you let everybody know where they can find you i'll link everything in the show notes but for those who don't read the show notes it's always good for you <laughs> of course yes so my website is www.embracesexualwellness.com and all of my um, instagram and um, twitter handles facebook there as well um, but it's just embracesexualwellness.com Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here today, for being so open, for sharing your expertise. And I think that this is going to be really valuable to a lot of people. And I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you so much, Sydney. It was so wonderful speaking with you today.